just thank God for the moment of worship that we were just able to experience. Thank you. Thank you to all of our, our worship leaders. I love seeing the Jesus just kind of pour out of them and then it just kind of multiplies in us. And, and it is in fact the Holy Spirit that even enables us to come and to lift our hands and to worship God. So it's just a wonderful thing to see what he's doing here in this room, to see what he's doing in our city and in our world. Let, let's pray and then we're gonna dive into our message today. Father, we are grateful for a, an opportunity to worship you, to speak truth to declare the truth that you are king that you are christ that you are king that you are lord of lords that you are king of all kings over all kings father this is good for us thank you for that and thank you for all the things that you are doing in this church thank you for the way your spirit is moving in our city and and even beyond throughout the around the globe we thank you for your activity your redeeming, restoring activity in this world. We only want to be a part of it. And Father, right now as we open your word, we want, to, we want it to shape us. We want it to mold us. We, we pray for the, the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word, the doing of your word. We, we want our hearts to be soft, so we, just, we, lay, we lay our hearts at your feet asking that you would just speak that the Holy Spirit would just illuminate Christ, that, that we would see Jesus and only Jesus. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all those who agreed with that said, amen. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, maybe today is, uh, maybe, maybe you've been attending Oak Hills for a long time, and maybe, just maybe today is your very first day at Oak Hills Church. We realize that every Every Sunday is somebody's first day. Can we just go ahead and welcome those who are here for their first time at Oak Hills? We are glad that you are here. So glad that you're here. And you know, I've, it, it occurs to me that all of us are here, or most of us are here, because somebody invited us. And man, I get excited. I get super excited when you guys get excited enough about what God is doing in this place to invite people to it. And even here at the, the first of this year, in 2020, I've been hearing a lot of stories about you guys making invitations. One, one story was um, somebody um, made an invitation to a couple that had never been to a worship service. And they didn't think, you know, there was much chance that they would come, but they thought, well, why not? It's, you know, worth making the, the invitation. And so the next weekend rolled around and uh, guess what happened? Nothing. They didn't show up. The people they invited didn't show up. Um, maybe that wasn't a great, no, it is a great story because here's what happened. The next weekend, they'd kind of forgotten about the invitation that they made. And so they're sitting in service. It was the first song. The, the, the worship music is going and they're singing. And when the guy feels a tap on his shoulder, it's the couple, the couple unannounced, didn't tell them they were coming, just shows up and like, Hey, you got any room on your row? And they're like, yeah, come on. We're all, I mean, the song has started. We're all singing and they're holding back the tears and Man, you never know. You never know. All because somebody invited. I heard, heard another story. Sometimes it's not an invitation to a, a worship center like this, to a worship service. Sometimes it's an invitation that takes place in your neighborhood. I mean, right there in the, uh, I heard a, about a, a couple who had a new neighbor that just moved in. They happened to be out in the street playing Frisbee golf 
when they noticed that their neighbor was outside. So they decided just to walk across the street and meet the new neighbor. Now, I don't know what kind of conversation that they were having, but at some point, the conversation came back around and the new neighbor said, well, I've I've tried to read the Bible before, but I always kind of get into it and it's kind of confusing to me and I just kind of give up on it. And so the Oak Hills members, they said, well, you know, if, I mean, if you ever want to, I mean, maybe we could, I don't know, get together and maybe read the Bible together. Maybe we could, we could talk about it without skipping a beat. The new neighbor said, how about this Wednesday? So they're reading the Bible together, talking about, talking about scripture. You never know, all because somebody, somebody made an invitation. I got, I got one more story for you. This one is about one of our students. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to brag on our students. Here at Oak Hills, we have the best students anywhere around. I put them up against anybody. We have the best students. And I say that because these, these guys are on fire and so inspiring to me. And I'll, and I'll tell you, just give you one quick example of why. One of our students decided to take the study guide that, that we're going through. Many of you are going through it in your small groups. The, the Follow Me study guide goes along with this sermon series. And so one of our students decided that they would take that and they would just, I don't know, send out an invitation, send out a text to some of their uh, teammates. Said, hey, if anybody wants to get together uh, tomorrow in the locker room, um, we're, we're going to be doing this. So the very next morning rolls around. Nine of his teammates show up in the locker room to talk about Jesus. These guys, they, they take a break for just a moment from tackling each other so they can tackle what it means to, to follow Jesus. And there they are in the locker room talking about Jesus all because somebody made an invitation. Well, you never know. I mean, can you feel it? Do you sense the way that the Spirit is moving? I'm talking about from rooms like this to living rooms to locker rooms. God is on the move. All because, well, somebody decided to, to make an invitation. You never know when you're going to have an opportunity to help guide someone to follow Jesus. Moment by moment. And here at Oak Hills, that's what we are all about. In fact, we've made it our mission. We've made it our mission to, to guide all people to follow Jesus moment by moment. And that's why here at the beginning of the year, 2020, we decided in this first sermon series that we were going to go all the way back to the very beginning of when this following Jesus movement began. And so we're in the fourth week of a series we are calling Follow Me because it was with those two words that Jesus made an, extended an invitation to people. And it would not only change their lives, it would change the world. How do I know? Well, here we are, still talking about it, still changing the world. We talked the last couple weeks, asked some important questions. What does it mean to, when Jesus said, follow me, what did that invitation really, really mean? What, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? A couple weeks ago, we asked the question, well, hold on a second, who, who can follow Jesus? I mean, do you have to be a certain this or a certain that? Do you have to have certain credentials or qualifications? I mean, who can follow Jesus? And Jesus said, I came for the sick. I came for the sinners. I, anyone is someone who can follow me. Then last week, we asked the question, well, follow me to what? I mean, when Jesus says, follow me, what is, what is he really inviting us into? And we said, well, based on the way that he lived his life, what he's inviting us into is a relationship with his father. Jesus said, follow me, follow the father. Well, he loved his father. 
Many of you are reading right now through our 21 chapter challenge right there in the Gospel of John. You especially see this in the Gospel of John. It's, it's just written on every page. Jesus was so dependent on his Father, so confident. He loved his Father and everything that he did, he was following his Father. So that's, that's the end game. That's where it all takes us. Where does it take us? It, ta- it takes us to an invitation with the Father. This week, I'm really glad that you're here. Because this week we're going to ask another question. And I, friends, I think this is a pretty important question for us to ask. Maybe some of you are already asking this question. And if you're not, then maybe you should be. But here it is. I'll just tell you up front. When Jesus says, follow me, when he says, follow me, we ask the question, what will it cost? Seems like a, a pretty good question to me. I mean, Right? We have learned to ask this question. We have learned to ask the question up front, what will it cost? We've talked about following Jesus, having a relationship with the Father, having peace with God, grace, healing, having hope in life, purpose, clear direction. All those things sound really good. Sign me up. But we've been there before. We've been there, done that. We've learned to ask the question, what will it cost? Because we know that the old bait and switch, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. And so those things all sound good, but we have, we have to ask the question, I mean, what's the, what's the catch? What's it really going to cost me? Right? Like we've, we have learned, <laughs> I mean, is this going to be like that introductory offer where the very next month the rate tripled? I mean, one of those deals. What's the catch? We've learned to be cautious. We've learned to be skeptical. Some of us are downright cynical because we've been burned before. So maybe you're asking this question. Maybe maybe you should be. I want you to know that Jesus is very comfortable with a question like this. Jesus understands a question like this because Jesus understands you. (laughs) He understands me. And so he understands that we would be asking a question like this. I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. That's where we're going to begin. Let's look at the words of Jesus here. Luke 14, many people followed Jesus. And then he turned around and he said to them, if any man comes to me and does not have much more love for me than for his father and his mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my follower. Okay, you, you get the, the picture here. Jesus, well, his popularity is pretty high. People have heard about these miraculous signs, these things that he's doing. So there are a lot of people who are gathered around Jesus to see what he's going to do next. But at some point, Jesus turns to the people and he says, guys, we, we just need to talk. Maybe you're already asking this question. Maybe you're not, but if, if you're not, you should be asking this question. Jesus says, I want you to count the cost when it comes to following me. Look at what he continues to say here in Luke 14. If, any, or if one of you wanted to build a large building, you would sit down first and think about how much money it would take you to build it. And we get that. You would see if you had enough money to finish it or when the base of the building is finished, you, well, you might see that you do not have enough money to finish it. Then all who would see it would make fun of you. 
They would say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or how about this? What if a king is going to war with another king? Will he not sit down first and decide if he is able to go with 10,000 men against the other king who is coming with 20,000 men? Or he will send a soldier to the other king while he is still a long way off. He will ask, what can be done to have peace? In the same way, whoever does not give up all that he has and there it is again, cannot be my follower. I like how Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases this in the message in verse 33. He says, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. I would have to imagine, again, Large crowds, people were, they had heard what Jesus could do and they were waiting to see what he would do next. A lot of people surrounding Jesus. But I would have to imagine that there were some there that were just like, whoa, Jesus, slow down. I mean, we're with you. I mean, we're here, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're, we're with you, but um, well, we're, just, we're just here to watch. I mean, we're, we're here just to consume the goods. I mean, you're a great teacher and all, so... Uh, I don't know. Teach us. Inspire us. Heal us. Feed us. Show us a miracle. Miraculous feeding. Even better. And there were many people there. I don't know what they expected. I don't know what they wanted. But then Jesus starts talking like this. Maybe some of them were there because they thought that Jesus was going to lead them. Maybe to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus, we've been impressed long enough. Are you the one? Are you the one that's come to lead us to freedom? What they thought of as freedom? Maybe someone in the, in the crowd said, Jesus, I'm, I'm here because I want you to affirm the way I'm living my life right now. Just tell me something that makes me feel good. Maybe, maybe there were religious leaders that just wanted Jesus to affirm them in their religious beliefs and their religious systems. Maybe, maybe someone there just wanted Jesus to stop talking about a cross. I mean, maybe someone gave him some advice, said, Jesus, if you hadn't noticed, there are a lot of people around here that are, that are plotting your death. A lot of people around here that want to kill you. There are a lot of things that you could be talking about right now. I might avoid the topic altogether. But Jesus doesn't avoid the topic of the cross. He knows what he's doing. He understands that the people, they don't quite yet understand. But Jesus loves these people. I mean, do you, when Jesus looks at these people, he has, he's, he has compassion for them. He sees them and he loves them. And sometimes when you love someone, you tell them the truth. He could have had larger numbers. He could have had bigger crowds. He could, have, he could have drawn crowds from all over the place if he had just given the crowds what they wanted. But he loved them, and because he loved them, he withheld what they wanted so that he could give them what they needed. And as he did, it leads us to one of the, what I think is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture in John chapter 6, verse 66. Because of what Jesus said, 
many of his disciples turned their backs on him and stopped following him. I don't know what they thought Jesus was going to ask of them. I mean, I don't know if they thought that maybe he was, he was going to say, hey, I've got a, a new list of rules, right? I mean, here's the rules. If you just do these things, then we're good. I don't know, maybe, maybe they thought he was just going to give them a list of things to believe. Maybe they just thought that this was all about if I believe the right things, you know, check, check, yes, I believe that, yes, I believe that, then we're all good. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of them thought that uh, he was going to invite them to, to pray a prayer with him, <laughs> to, to invite him into their hearts. And then that's kind of it, you know, we're We're good. I don't know. I don't know what they thought that he was going to ask of them. But what did Jesus ask of them? He asked for everything. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was quoted as saying it like this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The people who walked away from Jesus, they knew why they were walking away. I mean, come on, Jesus, a cross, really? Of all the things you could be talking about, you're going to talk about a cross? When Jesus said, carry your cross, he wasn't talking about a nice piece of jewelry around your neck. This was the cross. This was a, a, symbol of, a symbol of death, a symbol of humiliation, a symbol of, of Rome's thumb pressing down on the people. When would it end? And yet, that's what Jesus wants to talk about. Not exactly uh, <laughs> motivational speech material. But yet, that's what he talks about. You see, when Jesus said, follow me, he was giving the people an invitation. It was an invitation to die with Christ. When he said, follow me, it was an invitation to die with Christ. We know what they didn't know. We know that Jesus would go on to give his life. I mean, he would literally lay down his life and literally die on a literal cross, which we also know, they, they didn't know this yet, but many of the followers would go on to do the same. I mean, this is what it would mean for their life. They would be martyred. They would be killed. They would lose their life. They would give their life. But Jesus not only gave his physical life, what he's trying to teach them here, he, he not only laid down his life, he laid down his will. Time and time again, he laid down his own desires, for the sake of others. That's what Jesus did. Time and time again, he laid down his will for the sake of others. We talked a little bit about this last week. But many of us, when we, um, when we begin to follow Jesus, a lot of us, I know this was, this was me, right? I followed Jesus because of what was in it for me. 
I mean, and that's where most of us start. I mean, when we begin to follow Jesus, we have these thoughts of, well, you know, what's, what's in it for me? And it's not that we want bad things. I mean, we want good things, right? We follow Jesus because maybe Jesus can make us a better person. We want to be better people. We want to be able to forgive more. We want to be more loving. Maybe we follow Jesus because we think he can give us a better life. And he can. Maybe it's we just want to be better at life. And no doubt, following Jesus will make you better at life. But at some point, no matter how good our will is, there's going to come a moment where our will will compete with God's will. Right? We, we begin following because we think that you know, our, our will is going to line up with God's will, and a lot of times it does, and then he can help us do what we kind of wanted to do in the beginning, but there will come a moment. See, we want good things, but here's the thing. There will come a moment when our will will compete with God's will, and the two will not align, and we have a decision to make. See, this is the moment that we discover whether we are truly following Jesus or... Maybe we're like some of those other disciples who are just kind of traveling along, you know, just spectators, bystanders, just kind of uh, traveling along from a distance and just kind of cheering them on. Go, Jesus, but I don't want to, I want to get mixed in with you. That's the, these are the moments where we discover whether we're truly following Jesus or we're just kind of traveling with him. These are the moments where we discover who we, who we truly are. You know the moments. We've all got them. It's the moment where you, you want to stay and God says move. It's the moment where you want to move and then God says stay. It's, it's that moment when you feel like you've waited long enough. You've waited long enough for that dream job, for that dream girl, for that, that dream family. And God says, wait. Is that moment when you spent more days in the hospital than you have in your own home? It's when you're headed off to another job interview because you, you're looking for work and all you want to do is provide for your family and you think, God, it's time. It's those moments where uh, maybe you're you're in the dating scene. And the world's telling you that if you really want to know whether you should commit to someone, well, first, you might want to consider test driving your full compatibility with that person. And God says, wait. That's not my will. That's not the way I do things. Those are the moments. Or the moment where someone has hurt you And God wants to, to pry the grudge that you've held on to for so long out of your clenched fist. And God says, let me, let me help you with this. And you go, I, I don't know, God, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what that means for what they did. I don't know what that means for who I will become if I let go of that. And I don't know if I can stand to be hurt again. Those are the moments where God says, can you trust me? 
Can you trust me that what I have for you is greater, is better than what you can have for yourself? Because God knows if we will open ourselves that he can heal us. If we open ourselves to his will that we'll find true life. You see, what this is what Jesus did time and time again. As we talked about last week, yes, he was fully divine. He was fully God, but he was fully human. And in that humanity, he just, he submitted his will over and over and over. Not my will, but yours be done. This is what Jesus did. He was, he was the perfect follower. And what he found was true life. What he found was true freedom. Did he suffer? Yes. As he laid down his own will, it would lead him to hostile crowds that wanted to take his life. It would lead him to a, to a friend who would betray him. It would lead him to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray, agonizing from the loneliness, agonizing from what was about to take place. It would lead him to being flogged. It would lead him to being spit upon. It would lead him to be wrongfully accused. Ultimately, to die on a cross. That's where it would lead him. Yes, he suffered, but yes, he found true life and true freedom. The Apostle Paul, he says it like this in Romans 6 and 7. He says, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You see, the, the more that we die to ourselves, the more we become like Jesus. The more we become like Jesus, then the more freedom we find. I mean, real freedom. True freedom. You see, when Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't just an invitation to die with Christ. It was an invitation to live with Christ. Just one verse later in uh, chapter six and verse eight, the apostle Paul, he says, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also, what does that say there, church? Live. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. One of my favorite um, movies, one of my favorite movie quotes is from a movie called Braveheart. And in this movie, there's a, a character. His name is William Wallace. And in the movie, he says, I, every man dies, and not every man really lives. Now, while some of you are distracted by my Scottish accent, I want to give you the point. Every man dies. That's not a shocker to any of us, right? We know that all of us, regardless of the choices that we make in life, we're headed towards that. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. And Jesus wants us to experience real life, true life, abundant life, full life, rich, satisfying life. There's so many people, maybe you hear this too. I, I hear so many people say, I, I just want to find myself. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm on a journey just to discover myself. 
But the problem is that a lot of people are looking to find themselves by looking within themselves. And they're coming up empty. And Jesus says, if you want to experience true life, if you want to know who you truly are, if you want to know who you were created to be, you are going to find that within me, Jesus says. So come to me and I will show you who you truly are. You see, every moment that we say no to ourself and our own will and say yes to Jesus and the will of the Father, something just clicks. Something just happens. I mean, every time, and, and you've had those moments, I've had those moments, and every time we choose God's will over our own, it's like we take a step closer to knowing who we are. It's like we take a step to knowing more of who we truly are and who we were created to be. Following Jesus moment by moment to live a rich and a satisfying life that you know what? That kind of life, by the way, suffering, tragedy, hardship, can't touch it. So I, I want to ask you, I'm asking myself this question, I want to ask you this question, are we, are we really following Jesus? Or are we just kind of traveling along with him, cheering him on? Are we truly following him? Now we said that uh, many of us start in that place where we're just, we're kind of with Jesus for what's in it for us. And, and I'm going to say it again. That's okay. If that's where you are, you need to keep following. Just keep taking a step and following him. Some of you, you may be in a place where maybe something's happened in your life, maybe several somethings have happened in your life and the place that you find yourself is a place of feels like distance from God. You, you might not be willing to tell anybody else, but in your heart of hearts, you know, you're just, you're just mad at God. You're, you're angry with him. You feel angry and you wonder how he feels about you. You need to keep following. Don't do what the disciples did early. Where they just walked away. Don't walk away. You just keep following. God, I'll tell you how God feels about you. God loves you just the way that you are right now, right here today. He loves you just the way that you are. He just refuses to leave you that way. He just wants you to keep following. Keep taking a step. Keep taking a step towards him. Keep taking a step towards who you truly are. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark says it like this in chapter 8. Then he, then Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, here we go again, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Then look what he says. For whoever wants to save their life, well, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, they will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? That's a great question. What's the cost of following Jesus? It's a high cost. But let me ask you this, friends. Is it a higher cost than forfeiting your soul? And not just the cost to you, but what about the cost to others around you? 
If you walk away and you say, no, cost too high, and you walk away and you refuse to follow Jesus, what is the cost to the others around you? What's the cost to the people in your home that you love, those in your workplace, the people within your sphere of influence? What's the cost to them? Here at Oak Hills, we, we want to follow Jesus moment by moment, but not just for our own sake. It's for the sake of others. This is what Jesus modeled. It was for the sake of others. I'm super excited to see who's going to be the, the next elders in this church. I, I'm excited to see who's, who's going to be the, the next pastors called out of this church. I, I'm excited to see who's going to be the next small group leader. Who's going to be the next mentor? Who's going to take some time? Who has no title whatsoever, but just some availability to serve those who are vulnerable, most vulnerable among us? I'm excited to see how the spirit is moving among us. Let's be people of courage in these moments where it's our will and God's will. Let's be people of courage. Now, indwelt by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is how we live this life. It's not in our own strength. But indwelt by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to live a life for the Father's will. So keep following. Keep delighting in the Lord. The, the psalmist in chapter 37, Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, if you keep following, if you keep delighting in him, spending time with him, saying, God, what do you want for my life? Keep delighting in him. Keep following him. He will keep shaping the desires of your heart until you have a heart just like his. Let's pray. Shape us, Father. Mold us. Make us, make us the people that you intended for us to be. Continue to, to use us however you would choose. Father, we give you our hearts so that you would continue to shape our hearts until our hearts are like the heart of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.